the more I practice and uh, study, the more I am impressed with the clarity and the depth of the teaching of the Buddha. Just this. And um, I wanted just to reflect together a little bit around um, a few key concepts. There is a, there's been a, um, quite a lot of talking in the last few days about um, understanding and about discernment. Discernment between what is skillful and what is not skillful. And um, understanding more and more what, uh, what this means uh, in terms of um, our life. The first factor of the Eightfold Path is called right understanding, samaditi. And uh, right understanding is uh, first and foremost understanding of the Four Noble Truths. They are, um, there is a different formulation for each truth, like suffering should be understood, and this is obviously basic. Then the causes of suffering should be abandoned, but this too implies understanding. Otherwise we don't know what is it that we should abandon, or we might have uh, wrong concepts about it. And uh, the third truth is the end of suffering, and this should be realized. And the fourth is the Eightfold Path, which leads to the end of suffering, and the path should be cultivated. Again, uh, we should understand how to cultivate the path. Is again, as Larry was pointing out, an issue of discernment between what is skillful and not what is not skillful, and empowering what is skillful and uh, abandoning what is not skillful. Um, quite logically, to the extent that right understanding deepens, its opposite, which is ignorance. Avidja weakens. Um, so the root cause of suffering, which is ignorance or confusion or delusion, is uh, reduced, is weakened by the deepening of understanding. So understanding is obviously intuitive. Understanding is understanding which gets into our system. Um, cannot be superficial understanding. Uh, is essential understanding. At the same time, since it impacts on um, uh, ignorance. Um, the two uh, blossoms of ignorance, which are attachment and aversion, also get uh, weakened and uh, gradually and slowly they get replaced by the opposites. So 
in the place of attachment, we will have renounce, uh, uh, renunciation or letting go. Instead of this contraction, this opening. And in, uh, in, uh, in the place of aversion, we will have uh, loving kindness and compassion. The opposite of aversion. And this is called um, letting go or renunciation, nekamma, plus uh, metta karuna, loving kindness, compassion, right intention, samma sankappa. So from right understanding, uh, understanding of, of uh, suffering and the causes of suffering, and uh, um, um, skillful um, um, dimensions arise, and they are called intentions, sankappa. They are uh, powers, you know, the power of letting go and the power of compassion. So from right understanding to letting go, from letting go to compassion. Uh, it's like a, a virtuous circle. The more you deepen one, uh, and the more stable the other, the, the, the subsequent one becomes, and they strengthen each one another. Um, we know that these are the two uh, first factors of the path, but then we have um, the ethical factors and the meditation. So while we are meditating maybe in the midst of our dissatisfaction, we are strengthening right understanding and, and uh, right intentions. Clear discernment is of course crucial because like letting go of what is harmful as Larry was saying do we know what is harmful? maybe we do or maybe we don't or maybe we believe we do but we don't care so we don't know and um, um, letting go of attachment that's not an easy thing Attachment is vast. Um, um, sometimes it, 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 it is perceived as a, some sort of a moral fault that decent people do not have. But, uh, you know, I am, unfortunately, I am attached. Uh, I have this attachment, this other attachment. It's a primordial. It's vast and primordial. Um, we are surrounded, and it is true that we have attachment, but it's um, no less true that attachment has us. You know, it's like we hold and we are held. So, again, it takes uh, work and patience and trust to disentangle, to begin disentangling. 
from this painful situation. Painful, but less painful to the extent that we honestly acknowledge uh, the suffering and uh, to the extent that we take seriously the cultivation of the path. And since uh, it is almost the end of the retreat, and we are still here, it shows that we take it seriously. I remember reading recently um, John Kabat-Zinn's latest book, um, Wake Up to Your Senses, and he, he mentions a number of occasions uh, when people um, uh, have said, uh, if it wasn't for the practice, I don't know where I, w- where I would be now. So taking, taking the practice seriously um, has many advantages. In um, the 19th discourse of the middle-length sayings, there is this description uh, which I briefly uh, will present to you. While I was still only an unenlightened bodhisattva, the Buddha says, it occurred to me Suppose that I divide my thoughts, intentions in two classes. Then I set on one side thoughts of sensual attachment, thoughts of ill will, and thoughts of cruelty. Thoughts or intentions, the same word. And I set on the other side thoughts of renunciation, thoughts on non-ill will, metta, and thoughts of compassion. As I abided thus, diligent, ardent, and resolute. Now, these are important words. Diligent is apamato, and apamata is care. So when I was sitting with a lot of care, uh, a care which is full of trust, apamata. Ardent, atapi, um, you know, with a, with a strong determination. With, with fire, uh, literally it's uh, having fire. Um, one word of caution, sometimes people, people get discouraged because they start thinking, where is, where is my fire? And where is my, uh, my care? They develop, usually gradually. Um, I would even say the more gradually, the safer. Um, A thought of sensual attachment arose in me. I understood thus. This thought of sensual attachment has arisen in me. This leads to my own affliction, to others' affliction, and to the affliction of both. It obstructs wisdom, causes difficulties, and leads away from Nibbana. When I considered this leads to my own affliction, it subsided in me. 
When I considered this leads to others' affliction, it subsided in me. When I considered this leads to the affliction of both, it subsided in me. When I consider this obstructs wisdom, causes difficulties, and leads away from Nibbana, it subsided in me. Which also shows that it was already pretty advanced, pretty advanced because it just, just watches and is the end. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, after two pages he gets enlightened, so it was, <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty close. <laughs> And he does the same with um, ill will and, and cruelty. Uh, he would uh, look at uh, an intention of cruelty or an intention of ill will, and that would subside, because he would understand that this would create affliction to himself and to other people. You know, a lot of clarity about skillful and unskillful. And then he says... Um, Precious words. Because monks, whatever a monk frequently thinks and ponders upon and intends, that will become the inclination of his mind. Anyone disagrees? This is crucial. Whatever a practitioner frequently thinks and ponders upon and intends, that will become the inclination of his, her mind. So practice is also cultivating positive intentions so that we become those positive intentions. Whereas if we keep cultivating destructive or unskillful intentions, uh, those will be the inclination of our mind for our own affliction and uh, for other people's affliction. And, he, uh, you know, he explains, as I abided thus, diligent, ardent, and resolute, a thought of renunciation arose in me. I, underst I understood thus, this thought of renunciation has arisen in me. This does not lead to my own affliction, or to others' affliction, or to the affliction of both. It aids wisdom, does not cause difficulties, and leads to Nibbana. If I think and ponder upon and intend on this thought, even for a night, even for a day, even for a night and a day, I see nothing to fear from it. And the same with um, uh, metta and uh, compassion. So two sets of intentions. Uh, one set is to be abandoned. The other set is to be cultivated. The more clarity we have around this, the better. So we don't risk the danger of cultivating um, what should not be cultivated and abandoning what should be cultivated. Now, We, we've talked about um, right understanding, right intention, sammasankappa, but we, uh, we have not, uh, compassion, but we have not mentioned um, another 
key term in uh, the Buddhist uh, doctrine, which is equanimity. Now, equanimity is the opposite of attachment. And uh, is, a very, is a very crucial uh, word and, and term. This is uh, a presentation of uh, the Buddha, the Tathagata, uh, who teaches. And we can get an idea of what uh, a high level of equanimity means. Here, because compassionate and, seek, and seeking their welfare, the teacher teaches the Dhamma to disciples out of compassion. This is for your welfare. This is for your happiness. But his disciples do not want to hear or give ear or exert their minds to understand. They err and turn aside from the teacher's dispensation. With that, the Tathagata is not satisfied and feels no satisfaction. Yet he dwells unmoved, mindful and fully aware. So he doesn't say, the, the text doesn't say uh, the Tathagata as usual smiles. He says he's not satisfied. He feels no satisfaction because they are not listening to him. And he's uh, giving them important teachings and they don't understand. So he's not satisfied. But he dwells unmoved. Now this word translates a word which means he does not create afflictions, um, kilesas, uh, afflictions. Now, oh, can you imagine uh, being dissatisfied in front of someone who doesn't pay any attention to what you know from experience that's extremely important, and uh, you stay unmoved? You are dissatisfied, mind you, you are dissatisfied, so you feel you are not a piece of stone, and at the same time, you have not, neither, not even an ounce of aversion. That's not frequent. <laughs> not even a bit of aversion. Unmoved, mindful, and fully aware. Dissatisfied, but at the same time, very present, very alive, with no aversion. Uh, then there is the opposite situation. They all listen and understand. Um, and he's, he's satisfied. He uh, has satisfaction, but at the same time, he dwells unmoved, mindful and fully aware. Ah, uh, it doesn't get attached. Oh, you are, you understand what I'm saying, you know? Um, I will make you my first disciple. Attachment. Um, excitement. Because my words were uh, understood. I don't feel isolated anymore. And so on and so forth. No, he stays unmoved. And uh, as usual, there is the intermediate situation where some people understand and some people do not understand. 
Uh, so he's partly satisfied and partly dissatisfied. But a key uh, expression, it says, he dwells in equanimity, remaining free from both satisfaction and dissatisfaction. Wow! <laughs> he remains free from dissatisfaction and from satisfaction. Now, I'm sure that we, wa- we all want to be free from dissatisfaction. But what about wanting to be free of satisfaction? We are afraid of, uh, you know, remaining with little or nothing. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Equanimity is more satisfactory than satisfaction. Otherwise, there will be a crazy, a crazy talk. Uh, but of course, it's hard for us to conceive. Um, we, we know pleasure, um, the opposite, the in-between. This is a different dimension, very peaceful. And, uh, and it's got to do, it has to do, it's connected with love. As a matter of fact, um, equanimity is the core of understanding and at the same time is the core of compassion. You cannot have real understanding, or you cannot have real compassion, without this core of equanimity. You know, this uh, core of clarity and peace, and uh, this quality of being unmoved, of being, you know, without afflictions. Extreme clarity and peace and warmth. Um, when in another in another sutta, the Buddha, the a Buddha Tathagata, is described, and um, it sounds like a um, marginal remark, but it is not. He, he the Tathagata lives in a community of monks. Some of the basically what he said is that some of these monks are good, other monks are not good, but that venerable one does not despise anyone because of that, does not despise anyone. Now, not uh, judging, not despising, in many um, wisdom tradition, equals love. Like, I remember in the tradition of the Desert Fathers, in the Christian tradition, um, it is said, for instance, when uh, someone really ends judging and despising, really it's the end of judging and despising. Get up, because this person has reached love. So the Tathagata does not despise anyone because of that. Can you imagine being surrounded by all sorts of guys, you know, doing all sorts of things, and he does not despise anyone? Not because he controls himself. So if he's not out of control, should be out of love. Equanimity is not being hard and tough. This has nothing to do. Equanimity is always described as something pliable, something malleable. And he also says, this uh, hints at the degree of freedom that equanimity implies, that... um, in, it is said that in him, 
cleansed states are clearly cognizable and found in the Tathagata. And he says, They are my pathway and my domain, yet I do not identify with them. And uh, the word is, I am not made with them. It's identified. It's a pretty good translation. So can you imagine having having this um, level of purity and he is free <laughs> from that level of purity. He's not, uh, you know, taking pride uh, because of that level of purity. And this is innocence. I would like to try to apply what we've been saying. Um, okay, this is um, Chogyam Trumpa. A great deal of chaos in the world occurs because people do not appreciate themselves. Having never developed sympathy or gentleness towards themselves, they cannot experience harmony or peace within themselves, and therefore what they project to others is also inharmonious and confused. So it is extremely important to be willing to open yourself to yourself. It is extremely important to be willing to open yourself to yourself. Developing tenderness toward yourself allows you to see both your problems and your potential accurately. Developing tenderness towards yourself. The dukkha, the suffering, is made a lot of self-preoccupation, chronic self-preoccupation. If we respond to chronic self-preoccupation with tenderness, we do the right thing. If we get anxious or impatient or severe, with our self-preoccupation, we make it worse. This is a lesson that we have to learn many, 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 many times. Because we do it, we see that it works, we see that it is the right thing to do, and then we forget. It's amazing, the amazing power of avidya, the amazing power of ignorance. Then we do it again, we see the result, we enjoy it, and we forget again the, uh, you know, the cloud of oblivion. So practice is, you know, beginning again, and again, and again. In a famous uh, mystical treatise, um, in uh, the imitation of Christ, there are two words, incipe semper, begin again. Go back to the breath again and again and again. So we develop tenderness towards our self-preoccupation. We feel that we are doing the right thing. We forget. Begin again. Um, allow me one last quote from the Christian tradition. Jesus says, Pray constantly without getting tired. 
Now, it is interesting that he says without getting tired. Why does he say that? Because we get tired. We do a little bit, and then we get tired. So he thinks it's appropriate to add, don't get tired. It's not, it's not an idle um, remark. And the more we practice, the more we agree with that remark. So developing tenderness towards oneself. How's that? Is that narcissistic, maybe? Developing tenderness to ourselves. We got to be tough with ourselves. I remember once there was this father with a maybe a four years old um, um, child, and the child reached out, and the 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 father's hand went like that. He didn't want to hold his child hand. Uh, I guess he wants the child to be tough. But what about tenderness? Can we, de- can, can, can we develop a tough tenderness? It doesn't make any sense. We can be easily ashamed uh, because we don't understand, because we um, misunderstand. Tenderness is an act of courage. And we might uh, mistake it for an act of weakness. It takes courage to cultivate tenderness for ourselves. It does take courage. We might be easily afraid of losing something if we cultivate tenderness for ourselves. But this is a total misunderstanding. Um, self-congratulation has nothing to do with tenderness. That is not an act of courage. That's vanity. Tenderness is a mature act of courage, which has nothing to do with vanity. One person once asked Krishnamurti, I am full of hate. Will you please will you please teach me how to love? Krishnamurti said, No one can teach you how to love. If people could be taught how to love, the world problem would be very simple, would it not? If we could learn how to love from a book as we learn mathematics, this would be a marvelous world. There would be no hate, no exploitation, no wars, no division of rich and poor, and we would all be really friendly with each other. But love is not so easily come by. It is easy to hate, and hate brings people together after a fashion. It creates all kinds of fantasies. It brings about various types of cooperation, as in war. But love is much more difficult. You cannot learn how to love. But what you can do is to observe hate and put it gently aside. 
Do not battle against hate. Do not say how terrible how terribly it is to hate people. But see hate for what it is and let it drop away. Brush it aside. It is not important. What is important is not to let hate take root in your mind. Do you understand? What is important is not to let hate take root in your mind. Now this is exactly what we've been talking about. Uh, you remember uh, the unpleasant sensations, the proliferation which invades the mind and uh, remains in the mind. Uh, this is uh, the beginning of taking roots. Um, the opposite of letting go, what is harmful. Do you understand? Your mind is like rich soil, and if given sufficient time, any problem that comes along takes root like a weed, and then you have the trouble of pulling it out. Your mind is like rich soil, in both senses, fortunately. But now he is uh, um, considering the negative sense. And if given sufficient time, any problem that comes along takes root like a weed. And then you have the trouble of pulling it out. But if you do not give the problem sufficient time to take root, then it has no place to grow and it will wither away. If you observe hate, uh, and let it pass through. It doesn't stick. It doesn't invade. And it doesn't take root. Hate can be anything, you know, fear, anger, jealousy, uh, whatever. If you encourage hate, give it time to take root, to grow, to mature, it becomes an enormous problem. It's one of the names of Dukkha. But if each time... If each time hate arises, you let it go by, then you will find that your mind becomes very sensitive without being sentimental. Therefore, it will know love. But if each time hate arises, you let it go by, and this takes training, this takes mindfulness, this takes everything, uh, then you will find that your mind becomes very sensitive. See, this is extremely important. With the accumulation of hardness, aversion, uh, the mind gets less and less sensitive, more and more hardened. Now, through the practice, the opposite happens, that the mind becomes more and more sensitive. But, of, of course, we are afraid of this becoming more sensitive. So there is resistance to that. You will find that your mind becomes very sensitive. Do we want it? Yes and no. Too sensitive may be we're going to suffer not only enjoying, but suffering as well. 
Probably. It's a different kind of suffering, though. According to a famous statement by Ajahn Chah, there is a suffering which leads only to further suffering. There is a suffering which leads to liberation. I opt for the second one. The mind can pursue sensations, desires, but it cannot pursue love. Love must come to the mind. And once love is there, it has no division as sensuous and divine. It is love. That is the extraordinary thing about love. It is the only quality that brings a total comprehension of the whole of existence. That is the extraordinary thing about love. It is the only quality that brings a total comprehension of the whole of existence. I think at that point we are satisfied. We are happy. We are in peace. So is it, isn't it worth working um, for that? Okay, let's sit for a few seconds. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.